This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play by play guys. For play by play guys, by I'm told, a play by play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now, here's the host of Play by Playcast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay. Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Sound the horns, blow the kazoos at long last. It is episode 100 of Play by Playcast. Thanks as always for the subscribe, the stream, the download, however you're tuning in this week. My name, of course, is Joel Godet. This is the podcast about play by play broadcasters. For play-by-play broadcasters, hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster, a professional development podcast that dives into tips, tricks, experience, process, stories, and preparation of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. If you'll notice, if you've been a long-time listener to the pod, we skipped over episode 100 uh, a couple months back now at this point um, because at the time, the plan was to have one person on in particular, and the plans to do said podcast at that point in time fell through. And it just took a while uh, before the two of us wound up in the same place at the same time again. And I wanted to have Jason Benetti as the guest on Play by Playcast episode 100 uh, because he's a guy that is responsible in some ways for me being a play-by-play broadcaster, somebody that means a lot in terms of the very beginnings of my career. Uh, he was one of my first bosses. I interned for him as his number two broadcaster in A ball, A advanced ball with the Salem Avalanche back in 2008. Um, I guess that was my first professional job. I worked in the Cape Cod League the year before as a broadcaster, um, but learned a lot from Jason that summer and have learned a lot since from Jason in the more than a decade uh, that we've known each other. So I figured that in a podcast about the craft and the industry, uh, who better to have on than someone like that in uh, the, the early beginnings of my career? And then also, let's just be honest, Jason's a really good broadcaster. And I wanted to talk to him from a couple of different perspectives, especially from the creative side, because I just think he looks at what we do in a different way and uh, attacks what we do in a little bit of a different way. And that's what gives you the unique perspective and product uh, that you get on a Chicago White Sox broadcast every night on television or on an ESPN uh, or Westwood One event that he is a broadcaster for uh, every single time he puts on a headset. So uh, excited to have this conversation with Jason here for what is officially episode 100 of Play by Playcast. Wide ranging discussion. We'll get to a whole bunch of things. One thing that we don't get to, though, and that I wanted to, and I just didn't circle back to it, uh, was something that he and I discussed. We got together this past week. Uh, Ball State was in Chicago for men's basketball playing Loyola. They won. It was awesome. It was great. I uh, got a picture with Sister Jean was great. One of my best social media posts in terms of interactions like ever. So thank you guys for that. Uh, nothing better than a, a, a Jew and a nun on Hanukkah uh, posing at a basketball game. Uh, <laughs> but Jason and I got a chance to sit down and 
one of the things we talked about before I hit record that we that that I wanted to get back to and it just didn't happen was in some ways character building and getting someone to feel a certain way about what they're watching and how that factors into our jobs as broadcasters. You know, somebody turns on a basketball game, you have to, as the announcer, tell them why they need to care about these two teams, about these 10 players, or about these two players. You have to, your job is to tell people why this is important, why they are important, and why I shouldn't change the channel. Ultimately, you know, entertain, inform, and and how do you do that? You tell people why it's important. And, and Jason swerved me there just in our conversation because he said, go back and listen and watch some old school WWF wrestling matches. When Vince McMahon, who's the head of the company, was at the time the play-by-play announcer. Because wrestling broadcasting is exactly that. And Jason was just talking about how good Vince McMahon was at that. What is wrestling broadcasting at the end of the day? It's telling the story and telling you who you should root for, who you shouldn't root for, and why. You hate Razor Ramon. You should hate Razor Ramon. I'm going to tell you why you should hate Razor Ramon. You need to boo Drew McIntyre. Why do you need to uh, boo Drew McIntyre? I'm going to tell you why you need to boo Drew McIntyre. And then when Braun Strowman comes out, I'm going to tell you why you have to cheer him. There is a certain reaction I want you to have to this person for X, Y, and Z reasons. And I'd never thought about play-by-play through that lens. I mean, we had Rich Bikini on, who's uh, one of the voices of Major League Wrestling, I think episode 99, no, maybe 99, scroll back through. Um, but and, and Rich talks about wrestling play-by-play, and... Um, the approach that you take to doing that, but I had never thought about it in those terms. Uh, so it's something we didn't get to on the podcast, but that I or in the interview that I did want to address on the pod. Uh, so if you're a wrestling fan and you have the WWE Network, um, I'm going to at some point here over the next couple of days, scroll back through and watch some old school stuff and and listen to how Vince does things with a little bit more of a critical ear. But you can find things on YouTube too. And if you want to go, it, it's a great idea. Look at how he gets you to care about certain things and feel a certain way might be a good way to learn Um, how to elicit emotion, how to tell a story, how to make someone feel a certain way. Um, So something we didn't get to in the conversation, but that I wanted to address here on the podcast. With that as the foreground, you can tell just how much ground... uh, intriguing and random we're going to cover over the course of the next hour uh jason has been the voice of the chicago white Sox on television for a couple of years now uh before that he got his start at espn where he still works um before that he was the voice of the AAA syracuse chiefs and syracuse sky chiefs where he had bryce harper and steven strasburg uh in their ascent through the minor leagues um before that he was a broadcaster in salem and abel Um, He was also the voice of High Point Basketball. He was also a law student. He went to Wake Forest uh, while he was a broadcaster um, and got a law degree. And we're going to talk about exactly why he did that and how that factors into what he does. 
uh, interesting guy and a different perspective to everything we do. Very excited to have Jason Benetti on, not just to explore uh, the past that he and I have together, but to explore uh, his perspective on this craft. This is episode 100 of Play by Playcast, and it's with Jason Benetti. So I'm in the hotel this morning. I figured I would start with this story because I thought you would find it entertaining. Um, I already do. Well, you listen. <laughs> um, I was making my hot chocolate this morning, and I was going to put the water in first, but I mixed the creamer in with the cocoa, and then I put the water in because that's how Douglas Arguello told me they did it in Nicaragua. So it's just it's stuck with me a decade later. I quite often, when people talk about bad baseball, reflect for them and say, just look up the 2008 Salem Avalanche. That's not what you called them. Uh, I, I don't recall, Joel, what I referred to. The avalanches. The, the avalanches. Yeah, they were. They got a plural because they were so bad. 2008 Salem Avalanche, there were a couple pitchers that started routinely. <laughs> that I mean, you look up the stats and it's like they walked more people and they struck out. And they basically were on the field the entire year. <laughs> Like, there was nobody else now. Was there a major leaguer on that team? Uh, oh, Brian Bogusevic. Brian Bogusevic showed up mid-year, grabbed a stick, and hit the ball better than anybody on the team, and it wasn't close. You remember, the first time he took batting practice, we were in Myrtle Beach, and it was a laser show. The remainder of the team, what's the opposite of a laser show? Mark Ory. Yeah, no, I, I like Mark Ory. He's a Northwestern guy. Good guy. There were some great guys on those teams. Really good guys on that team. Yeah. Jordan so, Peraz, big fan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of great guys. Not great baseball players. <laughs> I just, I love that, like, there was one guy. You can look it up if you really want to. One guy had, like, a six and a half and pitched every five days. All year long. <laughs> How? <laughs> It was a sight to be holding. Yeah, it was. Um, it was one of those one of those seasons where nobody liked each other. By the end, including the announcers, <laughs> and uh, no idea what you're talking about. No, 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 no. I, uh, I would, I wouldn't dare besmirch the host's <laughs> character in the play-by-play -play cast when he's been trying to hunt me down to do this for what, roughly eight months, <laughs> to the point where West Durham. In October, when I saw Wes, he goes, well, you just do Joel's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know he said that. Well, you just just do it. <laughs> I was like, I want to. We just haven't. I, I wanted to, Joel. It got to the point where I was doing the CrossFit Games in Madison, and we were going to do it as I drove through Chicago. And it would have been like one in the morning. And Benetti was like, you should come to Chicago. And I'm like, I'm going to die driving off the road. It's the only time in my life I've taken a five-hour energy. How was it? It actually works quite well. Did you time it? <laughs> I, I went to bed before it should have been over, so I guess not. That is against the grain. You slept on five-hour energy. Uh, yeah. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for being here. Uh, <laughs> In my home. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Uh, let's, I want to talk about the 2007 
2008 Salem Avalanche team. Yeah. Um, because it's also the only job I've ever applied for on Facebook. Uh, is it the only time you've ever had an applicant on Facebook? You applied, as I recall, for the 2008 Salem Avalanche number two announcer position in 2007. <laughs> this is correct. Via Facebook. And it was like, well, I really want to do this, which, okay. Uh, and then it was like, yeah, I mean, I, I guess then I don't have to go through the applicant pool, of which I have loads of CDs still from when I got the Salem Avalanche job in the first place. Uh, yeah, it was easy. You had initiative. Where's that gone? Um, and you seem to be smart and uh, interested in seeking out information. And uh, so I was impressed. And at that point, uh, Facebook wasn't what it is now. <laughs> I believed that it was actually you. <laughs> and it was. And we're all better off for it. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> that's not a question, and I refuse to respond. Uh, from that note, uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about where our careers have gone from there. Uh, mm -hmm. Because as as the voice of where has mine gone? I <laughs> I've no idea. I, I tell you, the White Sox pay you well though, because this is a nice place where it floods. But other than that, on the ninth floor, it's a story for another time. Um, after that, you went to law school. Um, and then, obviously, your career took off. You got the Syracuse Chiefs job, the rest is history. Uh, why did you do that? Like, most, like, let's be honest. Most people that are broadcasters when we're all, like, 24 are trying to think about how we're going to get the next double-A job when the Mobile Bay Bears are interviewing. Um, but you're like, no, I'm going to go to law school. Why? Because I wanted to learn how to stop talking after I asked the question initially. Was that really the reason? No, I just wish you would have gone to law school so I could have answered 20 seconds ago. Uh, if I'm being honest, I got a little bored uh, riding buses around with you. Uh, frankly, that, it has nothing to do with you. Um, I, I, want, I gave you the aisle, man. I, it's true. I wanted to, not that that helps, because nobody's going through that sea of legs to go to the bathroom in the bus. I did. I stepped on Kobe Clemens. Many media members that year stepped on Kobe Clemens, as I recall. Uh, I, I have an interest in learning. I always was somewhat argumentative. I got into a school... I, well, when I first applied to law schools, I was trying to go to a law school where I could also do their games. So I had first sought out doing the LSAT in 2005, the year after I graduated from Syracuse. I took it. I got a competitive score. And I had applied to a couple schools where I thought I could do games. One of the places was George Mason. I had a meeting with the director of broadcasting down there, who's still a friend of mine. I, as far as I know, came in second for the George Mason job. I would have gone to law school down there while doing their games. They promptly went to the Final Four that year. Uh, but I always wanted to learn it, and I'm so glad I did because it taught me so many things about an audience because a jury and an audience are not dissimilar. You don't get to pick them. Well, you get to strike some jury members, and you, if you care to, you can strike some <laughs> audience members. They have uh, lawsuits for that. 
Um, but it's very similar in how you talk to somebody in a sports audience and a jury because you want them to tell your story of the game or the case. You're also unique, though, in that that doesn't seem like a out of left field thing for you have to have done. Like they'd be like, well, why did Jason go to law school? Because he thinks it would help with his broadcasting. So he went to law school. And obviously that's not the whole reason, but like you can look back at it now and like, yeah, of course. Um, why are like, why are you that way? Why are your interests so diverse? Why there's literally the Oxford English dictionary in 35 volumes laid out on the floor behind us. And I walked in the door and you went, here are the words like, I feel like that's not a normal thing. Like, where did that hunger for knowledge and oddity come from for you? I don't know. Um, my parents just kind of let me seek out whatever. And I, I just... I always enjoyed the language. And... I've had enough experiences where finding some new piece of information so dramatically changes the story that I enjoy that. I mean, I, I do a lot of mindless things, too. Like, that's it's not like I'm just sitting here reading the Oxford English Dictionary, but I like having it. The reason I have those is uh, David Foster Wallace, the author who wrote Infinite Jest, which um, is an amazing book. It is long, but it's amazing. He has a photograph had his past. He had a photographic memory, and uh, as far as I know, and had basically memorized the Oxford English Dictionary. Some of the words and descriptors that he has in that book and some of his other stuff made me want to at least attempt to know as much of the language because that's what we started with, me, you, and so many other people is we wanted to describe things on radio. TV tends to happen at some point because it's the, the dominant media at this point, the, the TV screen combination. But I just like the vivid imagery of, of words and curiosity just, I think, comes from seeing how we can learn about the world when an added piece of information joins us. I thought there was going to be more coming from that. I was trying to... No, I, th I think tonally I landed enough that most of your audience <laughs> will believe that that was the end to the sentence. Where does the... Was there sentence? more? Was there more? Than... <laughs> um, you, you'd laugh. You might laugh. The amount of times I listen to things, I'm like... I want you to finish the sentence. Happens on video boards, shoots all the time with basketball teams. I'm like, I need you to say, like, crowd, make noise. And they go, make some noise, crowd. I'm like, no, but, but finish the sentence. And they look at me funny. I'm like, Benetti would be having a cow. I, I appreciate cows. <laughs> Here's the thing. Kelly Stoffer a diversion here. Kelly Stoffer, my football analyst, laughs at me every time I say, here's the thing, because he thinks I'm monk. <laughs> and I evidently say that a lot, so now I can't help but laugh when I say, here's the thing. <laughs> That's a... I've never thought of it that way, but like you as the Adrian Monk of broadcasters kind of works in some ways. Yeah, I mean, the OCD is a carryover. <laughs> you don't wear the same thing every day, unless you bought out Gap. I wore this sweater for a dinner yesterday. <laughs> um, so I would say that uh, 
you have to have some technique. This is performance. I went up there just for you. It's performance. That's why we do this. Um, it's storytelling, and it's learning about people, and it's journalism as well. But it's performance. We're, we're going on air all the time, and we have to have this very nuanced understanding of why we're saying things that we're saying. I, I may have told you it was roughly around the time when we worked together. I had sent, how are you nodding? You don't even know what I'm about to say. You're agreeing with something that doesn't have a predicate She's yet. going along with the flow. <laughs> I got an email from an NBA announcer in 2008 or 2009 when I was doing High Point University basketball. And he basically said, I like what you're saying, but you're boring. My first thought was, can I swear on this podcast? <laughs> My first thought was, this is BS. No, just say it. My first thought was, this is fucking bullshit. <laughs> Why? Why is this guy? Why does he hate me so much? And then I—it's the most important piece of feedback I ever got, because I listen back to it now, and I'm like, that is flat and boring and dry and doesn't evoke any emotion. And I'm so happy that I ended up listening to this person. It took me a while, and I've actually never met him in person, but. That is a component, and we don't learn that in school, or at least we didn't, I don't think. We were, we were so obsessed, and I, I was too. Like, I didn't help you there in 2008. Like, it's I was the Syracuse very, robot. Yeah, I was very obsessed with the technical details of what we do and what we're saying, not how we're saying it. They're both important, gravely important. But, but that's not to say tone is more important than what you're saying, because it's not. They need to match. How did you become less boring? Like, what did you change in the immediate, and obviously you said it took a while, but what did you decide to do? I went parachuting. <laughs> no, I, uh, I decided that I was just going to, because part of my defense to that would be, well, I'm saving it for a big moment. I want to have it for a big moment. Cool, but that's super defensive. Like, try it. And I, I learned over the course of time, just try it, see what it sounds like, then draw it back try it again, do it differently. Like, you have to be kinetic here. You're going to be the same person over and over again, and, and nobody wants that. Let me go into the, the other side of that, though, because nobody, I think, would ever accuse you of being boring from a content and knowledge standpoint. And I don't mean that from a, he's read the game notes, but your ability, <laughs> your ability to, and like, I, I made the decision like two summers ago. I was like, you know what? I went to the library and I bought, I didn't buy, I borrowed, uh, dictionaries of like American pop culture. And I'm like, I'm going to familiarize myself with the 80s because I want to drop lyrics that nobody else will understand except for me. Uh, that's something you do very well and some people probably don't even realize it because you're just amusing yourself to some point, but it adds such a color to what you do. How and why does that work? Well, it, so... Because it didn't work, like I didn't learn anything that summer. Funny story about that. Uh, this woman, she was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar. That much is true. No, that's just an 80s song. Um, Thanks. Yeah. Don't you want me to answer? <laughs> uh, sometimes it is just to entertain myself for my partner but it is always about the audience as well because I think if the audience always knows what's coming you're not really adding 
much of anything to their experience. Sometimes you need to stop talking, and that is the most reliable and effective way to get yourself um, into a mode where you're giving the, the game its due. But why it works is because... I don't even know if it works all the time because sometimes it gets to be too much and I have to really gauge and guard against that. I think sports is connections. I want to know that person X went to the same high school as person Y because I think it forges a bond between us as people. I want to know what's going on in the ballpark. I want to have fun with the audience and have them understand that I know more than just baseball because I trust that they do as well. And I think it's a way to have people say like, you know, that person is kind of like me in some regards. But it's also just fun to see things and how they connect. I think your brain just works differently in some respects, though. I don't. Because, but you, you find you have this ability to make those connections where most people don't. Well, uh, thank you all for joining the Jason Benetti Hey Geography cast. <laughs> I don't know what Hey Geography means. I'm just laughing out of uncomfortability right now. <laughs> It's in book eight. Uh, here's it. <laughs> pointed at the dictionary, hey, by the way. Hey, geography is uh, where you just like saint somebody <laughs> over and over. It's, it's like genuflecting it's like while doing this. Yeah, yeah. And I don't like other people are really, really, really super funny and super smart and super bright. Like the well, I haven't had like, Ian on this podcast yet. So oh, Ian got the Marty Glickman Award about a month ago at Syracuse for uh, service in sports broadcasting and just being an awesome human being because he's amazing. It was the people in that first, uh, the people in that first row were um, me, Ian Eagle, Beth Moens, Sean McDonough, Mike Tarico. It was daunting. Everyone was funny. What was amazing about that room was that while everyone else was up there speaking, we all were taking little notes while the other person was speaking. So we could like riff slightly on the thing the other person said 20 minutes later as a callback. It's a scary room when you're around people like that because they are so good and so sharp and so understanding of how people work and audiences work. Like, I, I refuse to allow this to be the Jason Benetti Hey Geography Hour because Ian and Sean and Mike and Beth and specifically, specifically Ian and Sean have been so good to me and such role models for me and such people who you watch and you say, my goodness, like Sean, it's like, this is probably not very, uh, a very good moment to tell this story because it's slightly topical and in the news, but I think the salads are better Can you now. do it as Sean? Worry, no, can, okay. I have, I'm incapable of not doing the impersonation when I'm talking about Sean. So, Sean McDonough, college football the first time, he's working with Spielman, Oregon State, UCLA. Oregon State's kicker's name is Romaine. <laughs> he comes on for the extra point, and Sean goes, Romaine, crisp. That was it. That was the call. He made the extra point, crisp. That was it. We're done. Sean has come on the air with Billis and Raftery and said, Welcome to the XL Center in Hartford with the two XL egos, Jay Billis, Bill Raftery. It's amazing. 
And Ian is just so clever and so sharp, but calls such a great game. They, they, they have been so good to me and such targets to aim for that I wouldn't be whatever I am today without them. Because when you have standards to shoot for, you automatically are a better person and better at your craft. What about those guys beyond what we always say? Why do you like Ian? Well, he's so witty and he, he's the master of the big moment. Like what? And, and other than uh, them being great people. Facial. <laughs> yes. Um, what about them makes them great at what they do below the surface? Um, they just care about it so damn much. They care about having people have a good time. Your dinner with those guys, they want everybody to have fun. They want the people around to be able to shine. And they just have brains that fire in a way that they're always moving. The, those neurons are always going. And it's so awesome. Like, they find gaps in things where there shouldn't be gaps. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. How do you replicate that? You, here's how you do it. You just talk like him. Sean asked me at one point a couple years ago, I hear you do an impersonation. Why don't you do it in front of me? So I do it. And he goes, cool. When does the impersonation start? <laughs> you don't. You don't. You just realize that those people are to be followed and to be watched and to be studied. And then you do it your own way. Or... You take the cheap way, and you literally just do an impersonation. <laughs> but there, there was a game. I was doing a Syracuse game like five years ago, and there was maybe six years ago. Three in the corner, and I just go, Trish, four, three. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. <laughs> that isn't supposed to happen. <laughs> Did anybody say anything? No, no, no. I, I was like the only person who knew, but whatever. I feel like Sean probably found well, out. He didn't know then that I did the impersonation because <laughs> a stat guy came up to me. Uh, 2015, Ed Svita, great stat guy, does Joe Buck stats, stat rock star on Twitter, fantastic human being, showers less than all of us. Uh, I'm going to send this to him now. He will love it. <laughs> and he won't be showering. So he comes back from a bowl game to do one of my games. And he goes, ah, Sean didn't know you did an impersonation of him. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, time to send a note. <laughs> I, I said, Ed, was that past tense? He said, yeah, it was. <laughs> That's good. It's good. All right. um, it's not a question. It's not if a question. Put the mic back in my face after that's good. You're not getting anything. Uh, I thought your defense was good today. You know, uh, Donnie, I, uh, you know, Robin, it's good. And, uh, you know. Um, how did you get good at this? <laughs> Large blanket statement. But... You know, I, obviously you are such a dissector of things and you break things down so much. Uh, what's watching your own tape and listening to your own tape back like? It changes over the years because there are things that you wanted to work on back then. Like you're just trying to figure out how to use the same tense in a sportscast when you started and not sounding like you're 11. 
still difficult for some of us. And uh, especially the 11-year-olds. <laughs> so I, it changes. Uh, I'm listening for different things this month than I will in two months. What are you listening for right now? Well, I just worked with Bill Walton for 72 hours. So I'm listening for the game. <laughs> Hasn't come yet. No, I, I love Bill. Um, right now, I'm listening to see where my energy is because I've had a run of a couple weeks that I could be tired out. And I don't feel it, but sometimes it sneaks through on all of us. And I'm just hunting for situations where that might have possibly happened. I don't believe it did, but that's what I'm watching for because I, I had concerns. This, this week, has, as we're taping this, is, is much lighter, but there, there were two weeks there where it was a lot of stuff. And you have to train yourself for that. And I need to know if that's happening. I would think I'd know in the moment, but you know, and everybody who listens to this podcast knows that sometimes things pop up on the tape that you didn't know were there. What uh, We talked before we started recording, you talked about the book, The Talent Code, um, in terms of listening back passively to 30 minutes versus listening back intently to five seconds. Uh, explain the difference to me in terms of how that affects what you watch back. Are you asking you for a friend or is this just asking, asking for, a you friend. could have asked me off the mic. Uh, they're all variables, right? Like in any given moment, there are three or four decisions that you could pretty easily make. And then two or three that you wouldn't think of unless you think very deeply about that given situation. So if you're listening for one specific thing, the odds are better that you're going to change that specific thing the next time you go do a game. So for me, if you're going to spend 30 minutes just watching and having it in the background, you're not, you're not really changing your mindset on a situation. But if you watch a given play a couple times, you say, why did I do this? Why was I like, we had an open last year of a game in college football where I was just like a little all over the place. And the answer was, I, I just wasn't, like, I didn't value the Open as much as I should have that day for day game reason, whatever the reason. I watched it back, and the answer was, the next week, no matter if I'm horrible the rest of the game, I'm going to have a clean Open, hell or high water. Uh, and so we did. And I was very proud of that change the next week. Not that I wanted to have a slip up in the, the week prior, but... It was everything, I just let it move fast that day. And you just have to say like, nope, not gonna happen next week. And that sounds a little like Book of Mormon turned it off like a light switch-ish. And I don't mean to say that it's that easy. It's not, but if, well, you, if you go into the metrics of that song, it's really not that, yeah. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're not gonna go any deeper <laughs> into that. Um, so. You, if you train yourself to be a corrector, it doesn't mean that's the right way or the wrong way. It just means that tomorrow it's different. I want to talk about your creativity, too, um, because that all flows through everything. And that comes not from the being able to reference things, but the idea of socks math, um, the idea of like not mean tweets with Dan Dockich. Uh, how do you stumble upon ways to make a broadcast interesting that are beyond the bounds of 
graphic analyst me. Let's have a conversation. Well, you, you, you just watch other stuff. Like, I was a big game show fan growing up. So, like, I draw from game shows, and I, I know what works and what doesn't for game shows in certain regards. Uh, you, you try to take other media and bring it in to what you do. Like, I'm a huge fan of The Good Place, and Mike Schur is a huge baseball guy. And if there was one person that I would want to have a conversation with right now, it would be Mike Schur. And it would be about how to do baseball on television when Netflix is uh, challenging you. When people can go binge watch stuff. I, I think part of creativity, and it's not that I do it any differently than any of these, like Jimmy Fallon does great bits. Like he takes old games and turns them into like Drinko, right? It's Plinko with random stuff to drink. It's great. You just take two ideas and you meld them together and you make something. Carpool karaoke is the very same way. People like watching interviews. People like watching singing. So then you merge them together and you try to bring that into the sports realm. But it's also kind of about... But, but you weave it well because it's very easy to get away from the game and doing it. Yeah, that. but some people hate socks math and some people hate all the stuff you're going to do. like that. And, and the not-so-mean tweets, by the way, with Dockich, that's, a, that's Andy Jacobson, the producer, being a great muse for me. He was our producer for the StatCast show that we did. And Andy is an absolute star. So when you get a great producer who you can call and you can say, hey, let's do this. And they're like, oh, yes, but let's do more. Like when we did Six Degrees of Tim Welsh in the American Conference a bunch of years ago on ESPNU, we'd start with a coach in our game and always get down to Tim Welsh. Andy was the producer on that too. He's an absolute genius. He's very, very good at what he does. Uh, sometimes it just comes from like talking things out. Like last year when we had a rain delay in a White Sox game, just started to pour, we got a bunch of tweets from people telling us like, oh, it's raining over here, where they were. And I was like, why do people in Chicago do this? Like, my parents used to call my grandmother when I was a kid and be like, is it raining by you? So we started playing, hashtag, is it raining? People would tweet in if it's raining by them or not. And we did a yes or no graphic of where it was raining. Like Aleppo, like, you know, like, or like Amon Jordan. Somebody was in Jordan, and they just tweeted in, like, not raining. <laughs> so we did a graphic, like, it's raining in Downers Grove, not raining in Amman. It, it, was, it was fun, but it just comes from, like, taking something and twisting it a little bit. That's all. Like, Mean Tweets has been done. Not-so-mean tweets hasn't been done, especially when they actually are mean tweets. How, how do you well and in baseball it's interesting too because you're doing the same team every night in every night out for as long as possible for 162 games plus well not plus that goes on national but you know what I mean um, how do you have something every night because you can get stuck so much in the grind of there's a game the next day to have the thought process to actually like producing a full broadcast every night has got to be exhausting from a standpoint of the, the technical side of things. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it requires a great crew, people on the crew who are creative and are building things on days when you may not have the mental energy to create something awesome. It's about being in the clubhouse, though, too. Like, we have access to these players. You go down to the clubhouse and you get one or two stories that are different than yesterday. You feel good about it. You get four or five. You feel great about it. And... That's, that's where just asking people questions comes from. Like, 
<laughs> Daniel Polka, left-handed power hitter who's formerly of Georgia Tech, showed up in April on our roster. And this isn't even a question that I asked. I was just lingering in the dugout. Tim Anderson, the White Sox shortstop, was talking to Polka, and I come up to them, and Tim says to me, did you know Daniel Polka was a great basketball star in high school? I was like, no, 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 I didn't know. Like, I've done a little research on you, but I didn't know. Daniel goes, yeah, you know, I don't want to say anything, but I was in the McDonald's All-American game. I was like, holy crap. That's awesome. How did I not? I just missed that. And Tim was like, yeah. So I Google it. And they're like, just search. And so I did. And I pull up the Wikipedia page for this year that uh, I think it was Kyrie Irving's year when he was in the McDonald's All-American game. And there it is, Daniel Polka on one of the rosters. And I looked at it and I said, Daniel, why is this in red? Why is your name in red? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, why is your name in red? On Wikipedia, that means you need like a citation. He goes, you're the first person that asked me that. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, well, don't say anything on the air, but I was sitting at dinner one night with friends of mine in spring training, and we were watching a basketball game, and I decided to tell them that I was in the McDonald's <laughs> All-American game. And as I was telling the story, I added my name to Wikipedia. So like half of the AAA Charlotte Knights thought at that point he was a high school McDonald's All-American. I was going to say that kind of is surprising that it got by you that he wasn't an All-American before that conversation. Yeah, I, I was like, you know, he'd just come up. I, you're doing a game every day, so like you don't think he's going to be there that long. Maybe you do some cursory research, but you, you just miss it. Like, you miss stuff. But just by being there, and then I, I didn't tell the story one of our beat writers uh, ends up going to interview him about it because he had Googled his name as well and found it. Daniel does like a 20-minute interview. Guy walks away and Daniel goes, hey, you can't write that. And Teddy goes, why? And he's like, because it's not true. <laughs> so, I mean, like, that, you go and you stand around or you ask questions, but, like, these people are people too. Did that wind up getting used on the air? Oh, yeah. We used it a lot, actually. Uh, there was one series, Tom Pachorek was filling in for Stoney, and we just started making up things that Daniel hadn't done as well. <laughs> what, how did you get him to agree to you allowing, to, allowing you to do that? Well, Teddy wrote a story about how fake it was. Okay. Like, that, that came out. And I was going to do it at some point that season, like, you know, I'm going to blow you up. But it's amazing. Like, I, he, was, he was wearing a shirt that said, like, Venezuela one day. I said, hey, uh, why the Venezuela shirt? He goes, my mom's from there. I said, I'm going to, after earlier situations, need to see a birth certificate. He goes, I'll bring it next time we're at home. Okay. So I see him the next day. We're still on the road. And I said, where's the birth certificate being shipped? And he goes, I told you. I grew up in Colombia. And I was like, yesterday it was Venezuela. <laughs> You are a liar. <laughs> but they're people, and they're fun. That's the point of this. You know, it's interesting, because I hearken back to when we were with the Avalanches, and uh, Keith Bodie was their hitting coach, mm -hmm. and you and he had a great rapport. And at that point in time, your 25-year-old Jason Benetti, not famous at all, random minor league broadcaster, and he's 50-year-old, gruff hitting coach, who thought coño meant pop fly. <laughs> it does not. Look it up in Spanish. Don't. Uh, <laughs> Don't look it up. Don't do what Joel said. Um, but I remember, like, you had a great relationship with Keith. And, and I, I said, I distinctly remember asking you, like, 
how do you have a great relationship with this guy as a person? Um, because what does he have to gain from you where you have everything to gain from him? And your response was friendship. Um, how do you, like, how have you fostered and how do you get people that, and this is like a, this is like a weird, like, interpersonal question, but, like, how do you get people to care about you when there's no interest for them to, well, so that you can develop the, and, and I, that, that sounded very self-serving, but like, how do you get somebody to buy into who you are as a person as opposed to he's just here to learn something to talk about? The answer is I just, I think it's listening. I, I'm not there to ruin people. I'm there to learn about people and let everyone else make the judgment. I also understand that if you believe something about a person based on the first thing you see, you're probably wrong. Like, that's the foundation of my life in some regard. So I give people chances. Uh, more than some may deserve, I think. But I like to ask people about themselves. I like to learn about themselves. I like to know what's down there. And I thank some psychology classes uh, at Syracuse University for that as well. And, and I had a psych class in high school. And, and I love learning about what makes people go. But at the end of the day, there's always that barrier. When Joel says, but, that means my answer well, wasn't no, good enough. No, 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 it it, it, it's perfect. But it, there's always that barrier of, like, the athlete always knows you're there for a reason. Sure. Um, and, and truly, you're there for that reason. But how do, you how do you supersede that with something else? Well, you're not all, I mean, I don't claim to know everything about everybody. I just want to ask questions that are not, why didn't you catch that ball? I'm not a beat writer. I don't have to do that. I get to ask, what do you like to do? What are your interests? Well, how do you get them to answer that? And I don't, like, you have to run into the guy who just goes, I don't care. Like, why do I, why should I tell you that information? Like, yeah. I, just leave me alone. I'm here to play ball. And that finds, that, that is fine. Then that does happen sometimes. But you just ask. Like, just ask. See what happens. And go from there. Yes, some people are going to say no. Or like some people may not like your reputation as an announcer or whatever it is. Just be a human. Like literally just be a human and ask people questions about themselves. Probably easier to do when you're with a team for an entire season. How do you break it down when you're doing football or basketball and you show up on Thursday for a Saturday game or you show up on Friday for a Saturday game? Um, how, do you, how do you find the same thing? when you parachute in for one day? It's a fun challenge. You have to try. You have to do a little research into who the person is. And you don't assume anything. I think some people, when they ask questions, they're like, well, you were this and you were that. Don't. Just ask the question. Shut up. You're there to ostensibly learn about the person. You've uh, hopefully read stories about them. Ask some specific detail. Like, we just had... Uh, we had Harvard and Yale, and one of the coaches was like, he coached at some marine academy. Football, by the way? Yeah, Harvard-Yale football at Fenway. One of the coaches coached at some marine academy in Maine at some point, and I was asking some questions about strategy in the game, and then I go, uh, important question, what is this marine academy in Maine? And he was so off guard but it was this from a time in his life 
that was formative as a coach, I think. And he told us a story about like, I don't have my notes in front of me, but it revolved in some way around the university having its own boat, which I think is interesting. And you know, if we have a scenic where we're showing Boston Harbor or something like that, maybe it possibly comes up. I mean, finding out what, make, what brings people joy is a good place to start. Uh, that same game, Harvard elects one captain every year. It's a fairly famous within their circles idea. The captain, Zach, uh, safety, Zach, uh, I want to say Miller or Wilson, uh, tells me that uh, we're on the phone. He doesn't know me or any, he tells me that he's a huge fan of movies. I was like, oh, what movies? He goes, what'd you say to get him to say that? I just said like, what do you do? What do you do? And he was like, well, I'm a hunter, fisherman. He's from Houston. And I like movies. I was like, well, what, what movies? And he goes, well, I grew up watching movies on like Saturday mornings with my dad. And one of my favorite movies was Dead Poets Society, which love it. Love Robin Williams. It's an interesting movie to grow up watching with your dad on Saturdays. Yeah, yeah. It's a little dark <laughs> at points. But um, there's the famous scene, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to ruin it, where all the kids defending the um, teacher, Robin Williams, get on the desk and they say, oh, captain, my captain. Well, happily, this guy is Harvard's only captain and his favorite scene, or his favorite movie is Dead Poets Say. So I said to him, I said, like, I'm now contractually obligated to say, oh, captain, my captain at some point. We had emailed the Harvard SID and asked if some of their players would do a bit for us and stand on the desks and do a captain, my captain with him. The answer was no. It was, it was like Thursday before a Saturday game. They have other things to do. It's Harvard Yale. But he happens to intercept a ball on Yale's final pass of the game. Well, we get a shot of the bench and, you know, at some point before this celebration's over, he may have his own teammates on the bench saying, oh, captain, my captain, and kind of wove it in. And you don't get that kind of glorious, smiling luck all the time. But it is. I, I definitely got a couple tweets about it. Uh, and I know people who've seen the movie thought, wow, that's... I haven't thought about that movie in a while. How did you, how'd you work it in? I mean, because it's easy to force that. Yeah, he picks, uh, the ball, he picks the ball off. And, like, the celebration is on. And I just kind of say he's the only captain in Harvard's locker room. And as he was growing up, he was a huge fan of the movie Dead Poets Society, and maybe he'll be the subject of his own scene where they're on the benches for him, something like that. I mean, it was, it could be construed a little bit of a, as a little bit of a force, but you try to delicately do that and make the person whole or interesting in some way. And the thing is, it's not the only thing about him. It's the thing that I knew that fit there. You can't know everything. How much do you talk to people before games when you parachute in? Uh, and who do you need to talk to in advance before a game? Because the blatant obvious is like, let me talk to coach. Tell me about your team. Tell me about your kids. Are going to ask the question? Or are you going to well, tell me what? I, I've, I clearly haven't learned anything from the last 40 minutes. <clears throat> um, rewind. No, I understand. Uh, I, know. I, 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 I like talking to players and I like talking to coaches because... I like to hope 
that we're going to get things that nobody else will know. You got to read the clips. You have to read everything you can about the team going in. But if you don't find something out based on questions you're interested in answers of, you're not doing your job right. I failed a Sawatsky seminar before that answer, by the way. You did. Apparently. Yeah, I mean, I met John once, and I think he's a genius. And uh, law school helped there, too. How many do you talk to? Like, if you're doing a football game, who do you need to speak to? Because I feel like one player, all right, now you've got a lot on one alley. Yeah. But to open up enough, you know, rivers in your in your tributary. So, that's... <laughs> Quite the aquatic. <laughs> Maybe I'll go work for the Marine Academy in Maine after that. Uh, I, I like to talk to a couple if we can. It depends on schedule, but a few players is a really good idea. There's no number. Like, well, I, that's fair. Some. A smattering. Sure. Yeah, okay. Has it, is it cool having your own cartoon? It is. I like being animated. Uh, Both... As a cartoon and just in real life. Yeah, yeah I am a cartoon, <laughs> but I've also been animated. Uh, it's fun. We have a couple more coming out that the Cerebral Palsy Foundation has put together. And uh, awkward moments. I know that was something you've said in the past. You wanted, when growing up, um, there was nobody on TV that looked like you. What's it like for you now to be in the position? I know you've wanted to put yourself in to be an advocate um, and help change that image in that picture. Yeah, in some ways. I mean, it's just not ever worth it to think you know somebody by looking at them. It's just not. You're wrong. You're wrong. You don't know. And that is a very valuable idea, I think, for race, gender, sexual orientation, disability. So I don't want to confine it to just people with cerebral palsy. That's what we've done at Cerebral Palsy Foundation because that's the banner it's under. But uh, it's more about actually asking people who they are and trying to learn because if all we had was first blush judgments, I would be working at a gas station or something like that. And, and people would have just kind of missed on the person that's inside. And, you know, my parents were great about just go do whatever. Go. Go see what you can do. And, uh, you know, sometimes you suck at it and sometimes you're good at it. But I, I don't really want people to say, like, oh, he's, he's such an inspiration because I need you to finish that sentence. What did I inspire you to do? Are you going to treat somebody better today? Are you going to get better at your craft today? Or are you just going to say that was inspiring and put it up like a piece of art in your living room? Because if that's the case, I don't want it. Because it didn't make anybody better today. So figure it out. <laughs> Have you seen a change in like the way that you've gone about your career? And as you've, I don't know, you have to have... There has to have been a time where you're doing television where somebody goes like, that's the, that's the announcer today. Yeah. And then as soon as you start, like as soon as you open your mouth, they're like, oh, that's, that's the announcer today. Yeah. I mean, that happens anytime somebody sees me for the first time, stuff's going to happen. I think I'm living proof that first impressions aren't as important as we thought, which is cool. Except for the people who really liked what first impressions got them. Then, yes, first impressions are great. <laughs> they don't have to be. It's like a really serious tone, and I, 
as I was asking the first question, was like, I forgot to ask you about Bill Walton. So if I can bring it back to hilarity, I'm glad we went there. But, um, and, I, and we can wrap up on this note too, because I know you've got, a, you've got another podcast to do today. So thank you for squeezing us in. Yeah, it's podcast day. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to do this because it is a very nice thing for the industry that you do it. Well, thank you. You're welcome. What's working with Bill Walton like? 72 straight hours of uh, a hallucinogenic drug, I believe. <laughs> I've never done that. He is a charming, wonderful, good-hearted, genius, all in one. And goodness gracious, was it fun. And some people said, oh, it sounds like you're kind of hanging on for dear life. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes you're in charge, too. Mm-hmm. Man, he's so smart. Talk about brains firing a certain way. And he is a marvel. There was a moment, Illinois' um, forward, Georgie Bishanishvili. Sorry, Gesundheit? Yeah. What was the forward's name? Georgie Bishanishvili. Okay. He's from Georgia, the country, not the state, as Bill said. He had done five or is six. Is his real things. name Georgie? Georgie, yeah. Oh, five that's or, coincidence. Yeah. yeah, he had done five or six things uh, early in the game, and Bill said, "Can I get a pronunciation of his name?" And I said, "Well, I, I just said it a bunch. Where, where were you?" And he said, "Just say it one more time." I said, "Okay, Georgie Bishanishvili," and he goes, "That's not what he told me last night." <laughs> and I said, "Well, what did he tell you last night?" He says, "I don't remember." I said, well, then I am going to go ahead with the pronunciation that I've been told from uh, his team. And then we moved along. The guy will say anything, and God love him for that. But how do, like, it's got to be really easy to make that awkward. How yeah. does that not become awkward? Awkward moments! <laughs> uh, it doesn't become awkward because I know he cares about the game. I know he cares about the sport, and I know he cares about having fun. I also know that he's a big-time reader. He loves music. And I want him to have a great time, and I want us to have a great time. And frankly, I like being around him because the joy just comes out of his pores, but the intelligence that he provides and the level of thinking about life that he's at is something I aspire to. There's got to be a level of confidence you have to have in yourself, too, to do a game with him, no? Yeah, I I think so, and I think... um, a couple of years ago, I probably wouldn't have felt as comfortable going into it, but I believed that we would get along because I thought we kind of saw things similarly in the way that we approach curiosity. If there was any um, confluence of two rivers, it was uh, curiosity with me and him. And I just absolutely adored every second of it because you never know where you're going. And you can take him somewhere. And like he, he had asked me day two, have you ever competed against Dick Butkus in anything? And I said, well, uh, what would that possibly be? And he said, oh, well, I competed against him in Wheel of Fortune. So a couple people had tweeted at me, and I found the video of Bill on Wheel of Fortune. So in order to try to be a step ahead, I watched the tape. The puzzle is... Which this wasn't on the air. No, that was on the air, the Butkus thing. Okay. I watched it the night after. So this was in prep for the next... In prep for the next day. And because I just wanted to know, like, it's game shows and Bill Walton. That's basically (laughs) everything I've ever wanted. 
the puzzle answer is Joe Namath wins the Super Bowl. There are a lot of letters still available. Uh, Esposito, Walton, Butkus are the three competitors. Uh, no. Tony? <laughs> okay, fair. Phil? I don't know. There's some Esposito. <laughs> no. Um, so... Uh, Walton gets it because Esposito gets it wrong. And he spins the wheel. He gets car. Okay. Fun. He guesses an H. There are two. Takes the car. No money in the bank. Answers. Solves the puzzle. Joe Namath wins the Super Bowl. Wins a car. No money. They're playing for charity. (laughs) So we have Illinois the next day. And he says, uh, he says... Uh, or I said, you know, you asked me if I ever competed against Dick Butkus in anything. He says, yes. And you said, no. I said, yes. But I watched the video of you playing Wheel of Fortune. He says, okay. I said, do you remember what the answer was? I said, I don't know. Joe Namath wins the Super Bowl. I said, I have a question for you. Uh, why, when you're playing for charity, did you not try to spin a couple more times and, you know, win them some money so they could, I don't know, cure a disease? And he goes, they love the car. <laughs> Just when you think you're ahead. You're not. How did you get into that? Like, what takes you there? Remember yesterday when you asked me if I That's competed I against... Just randomly? Yeah, well, you know, we were talking about Illinois alumni. Oh, fair. Dick Butkus. I waited for the Illinois game at least so I could pretend <laughs> to have a hook. But, yeah, Illinois alumni. On that note, uh, Jason, thanks for sitting down and doing this. This was, uh, this was fun. I've been looking at uh, Bobblehead of Mr. Celery the entire time we've been doing this, by the way. From Blue Rock Country! <laughs> thanks. Wally the Warthog! Wally the Warthog is one of my favorite people Listen, of all time. If anybody would have ever told you that a Chick-fil-A mini-golf combo would have not made it, you would have called them crazy. Yeah, so, yeah, Larry Barry, the public address announcer for the Winston-Salem Warthogs, Joel's favorite... Used to run a mini golf course, Chick-fil-A, which closed. And I don't know how it closed. But before we go, we have to say that, so the Winston-Salem Dash is the A-ball team for the White Sox, the advanced state team in the Carolina League. When we were in the league, Joel and I, it was the Winston-Salem Warthogs. And their mascot, as Joel said, was Wally the Warthog. He would come out on a little ATV of some sort, right? Yeah, you're nodding. Okay, that's, it's radio. Um, Wally would come out on an ATV and the public address announcer, Larry Berry, who brought candy to all of the games, would go, It's Wally the Warthog! As though he never expected it to happen. It happened every game. We miss Larry Berry. We do. They didn't take him to become the Dash PA guy. Wally the Warthog! I'll end on this note. Uh, when we would drive back from Winston-Salem, sometimes we'd plug in our phones to the Ford Focus, which at that time was advanced technology. We could ask it to play songs. And, and uh, Benetti at one point goes... Alien side down. <laughs> yes. Uh, Benetti at one point goes, I plugged in my phone, and he goes, play artist Hanson. And, and music followed. And Jason goes, if there was one person where there was actually going to be a song following that statement, it would be me. And it was indeed... Me. And now somehow I am the one on social media singing boy band songs on awful announcing. It's just how'd that happen? When you get to a certain level, they just put you on the website. 
I want it that way. <laughs> All right, that's Jason Benetti here on episode 100 of Play by Playcast. Bill Walton. I mean, <laughs> that's that is the biggest challenge. I, I feel like that's the pinnacle of broadcasting. Like if you can if you can work with Bill Walton, like it's going to be entertaining because he's 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 Bill Walton. But if you the the challenge of trying to steer Bill Walton, I feel like is a fun one, and uh, it it tests you on a lot of different levels. And uh, I know just from talking to Jason, it was a fun uh, time in Maui. I can only imagine uh, that it was a fun time in Maui. Uh, very good to sit down with Jason, do this podcast, and uh, glad he took the time uh, to do it here with us uh, for episode 100. Uh, we're out of time this week, though. So until next week, we'll go back on to our regular schedule back up uh, near episode 130 next week. Uh, episode 100, though, is in the books. This is Play by Playcast. Thanks to Jason Benetti. My name is Joel Gadet, and we're out. See you. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.